This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. to DesignCast. Jason Reagan will guide you through the MYP design course like a pro. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, I'm Jason. Thanks so much for joining me on this edition of DesignCast. Today I have some really great guests. I have three guests. First is Michael Coleman, who is a grade five teacher in South Korea, who has a very, very successful YouTube channel that talks all about living in South Korea and what to expect when you visit and what kinds of things are not true or are true uh, depending on what people have ever heard or seen on TV, which is really neat. Also, uh, Seti de Klerk, he is in Thailand. He's a Google educator there, and he is fantastic when it comes to sharing tips and tricks about ed tech, and a lot of people have been paying attention to him lately, especially given that a lot of schools are gone to a distance learning format. And finally, Kevin O'Shea, who is a teacher in China. He's a pre-K teacher who also is a nature educator. And so he talks a little bit about that in this uh, episode. So I'm really glad you're here. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope that you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your feedback. Have a great day, guys. Hey, everybody. I'm Jason. Thanks so much for joining me. I am so pumped to have these guys. These are legends, living legends that you can learn from. And so I am so excited <laughs> to have these guys here. What I'd like to do is just have everybody introduce themselves, You know, tell a little bit about themselves, and then we'll go from there. Okay. My name is Seti. I've been active on predominantly, I mean, mainly YouTube, really. Based in Bangkok, teach at an international school, really into sort of design, digital design, all that sort of stuff, makerspace, all the fun stuff. I'm looking forward to having a chat. How you guys doing? And I feel like, by the way, just during this, I'm, I'm going to flip, just go in and out between my teacher self, my YouTube self. So you see me become YouTube me, just, just forgive me. Um, but once again, my name is Michael Coleman, but I go by Mike Hole based here in South Korea. So I teach uh, in Incheon at an international school and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And uh, on the side, I'm also a YouTuber. I've been YouTubing now for about five years. I loved it every single step of the way and just do it, learn how to do, create films, create content, not just for education, but just really for just teaching people what Korea is all about and what it's like being here as a foreigner. Okay, um, I'm Kevin, and uh, I'm kind of all over the map when it comes to um, content creation. I think I got my start with YouTube back in 2006. I was YouTubing mostly my experiences uh, during my 10 years in, in Japan. So it, was more, it wasn't so much an education-related thing as more just kind of, hey, check out Japan. I got into podcasting, had a, a podcast called the Just Japan Podcast. And most recently, uh, I created, uh, it's now dormant, but it's going to come back, a podcast, an education podcast called the Making Better Teachers Podcast. And I'm all over all over the Twitter. The internet webs right the, the interwebs the twitters the tweeter <laughs> the tweeters he's a tweeter does that make you a twit or does how does that work <laughs> I don't know. 
Oh, Meg, I'm so really pleased that you guys could all make it today. Thank you so much. I think we're all in some degree of school closure. So uh, in mode of that, and some of us are further along than others, but this is great that you guys could take time to, to talk with me today. I'm really excited. A lot of people are super stoked to hear what you have to say. And so I'm here just to listen and learn, be a young Padawan learner of all the Jedi Knights that we have here. A lot of people just want to know, like, how did you get your start? What was it that encouraged you or created an impetus in you to want to go and just start creating content? I think for me, um, when YouTube first kind of took off as a platform, I became, it was just something so new and cool and interesting. Mm. Um, I really got into it. And at that time in Japan, there was quite a close knit content creator community, not so much anymore, but there was. And and before monetization, when no one made money, we were just loving it. And I, as ironically enough, one of my good friends who's still here, he was a YouTuber at that time too. And I was saying how, was like, wow, back in the days when no one made money, I was so much more creative because we were just, we were, we were just making videos for fun. No one was trying to, no one was even thinking of like, I'm going to do this as a living. I'm going to get rich. People were just making videos and being really creative and having a good time. That's that's how I got my start anyway. That was actually, it's interesting that you're saying that because that's what stopped me really from creating is that I always sort of associated YouTube and these platforms with the sort of stereotype YouTuber doing things just to get the views and then make mm. the money. And so mm. that's what stopped me from, from adopting these platforms. But then as I was looking for mo more ways to sort of share little tips, little tricks, mm. I found that typing it all up in a document and that wasn't really... That's not me. That that wasn't me because I, I I mean I come from a background where I've always been interested in sort of graphic design and web design and playing around with things and and so I was like well this is just dull like this is not this is not how I would consume it so why like I watch a video if I want to learn something so okay let me just try that and then I started making a video and I send that to all the staff and to and then I think it was um, at at one point a friend of mine said well why don't you make these videos public and I said oh no 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 I'm not I'm not doing that <laughs> just leave leave them unlisted too much you know, money unlisted. doing it That's just, yeah. I'll send you the link and he's like no 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 trust me make make it public so I turned one to public and I was like okay and then when I started seeing comments of like oh this really helps I was like oh mm -hmm. okay well let, let, let's just make them all let's just set them to public mm -hmm. and it just snowballed I mean it just yeah and now now it's just video after video <laughs> after video and so yeah my, but that was actually it's interesting that you're saying that about sort of the creativity the fun mm -hmm. and the monetization and that's what mm -hmm. was sort of stopped me from wanting to adopt it because I didn't want to become that stereotype YouTuber doing it for the kicks and the hits and the so yeah I can I can relate to that I can relate to that so um when I grew up in uh, so I grew up in Georgia I think I know you know that Jason um, I do yeah, <laughs> grew up in Georgia, and while there, I attended a fine art school and uh, studied film. So that kind of established this love of, of video work that I eventually started to get more into later uh, when Twitter dropped Vine. And so I used to actually do Vine for a little bit. Uh, Vine had a, like this big limitation on it, which is having eight seconds. And and as much as I love to tell stories, it's, it's challenging to do it in an eight second platform. And everything and then eventually when Vine crashed and then I moved over to Korea around the same time I ended up meeting another YouTuber at church and, and she was a pretty big YouTuber at the time in, in Korea just kind of hanging around her and talking with her I started to transition from from doing Vine over to YouTube and and I was too sure what exactly I wanted to do on YouTube because the thing about YouTube is that you know, there's, there's tons of different things. And a lot of people, when they jump into YouTube, if they don't really know exactly what they want to do, 
then their content's just all over the place. And then so when their content's all over the place, you never really get an audience. And so so while being here, I just found the love and just documenting, not just documenting my time in Korea, but really kind of having the audience see Korea from my eyes. And so I've done uh, different things from some vlogs, but then I like to do other things like interviews uh, with people that I know, uh, what it's like being, uh, what's like being black in Korea? What is it like being Hispanic in Korea? And I've done a ton of different videos. What is it like being a foreign woman in Korea? And just getting those different perspectives. And, and a lot of my audience, they want to know what it's like to come to Korea. Uh, they A lot of people want to move here eventually, but then I always get questions like, oh man, like, is there racism in Korea? Or is Korea scary? How is it for women? And stuff like that. And so um, just through all those questions, I started to kind of find more of my direction as to what I really wanted to, to film and and, and, cre- and content create here. So Kevin, yeah. when you were yeah. doing your Japan podcast and creating content about Japan, is that yeah. a similar uh, reason like what Michael's saying? Um, you know what? Like, so um, I agree with everything that he's saying, especially about the uh, keeping a focus. If you look at my YouTube channel, you'll know what not to do um, because I'm all over the place. Too, I think. But at the time, I, my, my following grew because it was in the early days of YouTube in Japan and there weren't very many of us doing it. So we grew big followings. But um, yeah, for the Just Japan podcast was essentially I love listening to podcasts. I love consuming them. And there just weren't very many about Japan at the time. And the ones that were would be like, for example, maybe a couple of English teachers would would make one about the jet program. And it was very jet centric. And I was never a jet. And it was very inside baseball talk. I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, oh, this isn't interesting. Or, uh, you know, a person would come on a one year contract, start a podcast, they leave Japan after a year, the podcast is finished. So I I guess I I wanted to create a show that I, I wanted to listen to. And I wanted a long form. So I wanted something like an hour and a half each episode that people when they're commuting could really get into. And I also realized my own, you know, kind of limited scope. I mean, I'm a teacher. I can only talk about so many different aspects of life in Japan because I don't know that many. You know, <laughs> I get up in the morning, I, I, I have a cup of coffee, I go to school, I teach, I come home to my wife and my kids. So so I decided to have a, an interview style. So I would have different guests on each week. Um, I called it the Just Japan podcast to give myself enough openness to basically talk about any any topic and interview any type of person who has a Japan connection. I was doing well with that one. I was, I mean, I was never, never monetized in any way. You know, I was getting, you know, tens of thousands of downloads a month near the end. Wow. Yeah. Man. I was for getting a long, I think, long format. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. really unbelievable. Well, I mean, I did about 200 episodes, so it was out there for some time. And for a while, I was one of the few games in town. So I suppose right. that helped. Now yeah. there's some big, like, uh, speaking of YouTubers, like Chris Broad from Abroad in Japan. He's got a podcast about Japan, but it's like A-list because... When you already have like a million YouTube subscribers and like, yeah. you're like, you know what? I think I'll start a podcast. Yeah, it's, it's you, done. <laughs> it's done. You're yeah. starting with a big, you're starting with a big audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's also like his content's good. So there's another side of it. His content's really good. <laughs> his content was good too, Kevin. Come yeah. on, man. And Seth, you started just as a way to share stuff with your students, right? Like, yeah, yeah, because originally everything was just on Google Drive. So all my videos were just stored on Google Drive, not even on YouTube. But then I found that that was, I was constantly forgetting to change the sharing permissions. And so I said, (laughs) look, I'm just going to put it on YouTube. You know, it's unlisted, but, you know, they've got the links and they're all sharing Mm -hmm. it. And that makes it easy. 
and then then I switched it to public, which made it even easier because then I didn't have to remember, to, you know, share the links and they could yeah. just find it. And then as it sort of, I think once I saw that I sort of had a thousand subscribers and I realized these are a thousand people I otherwise would have never reached that would have, you know, had still had those questions and would have still been stuck on something. Or then I realized, okay, well, let's just separate this now. And then I started making, you know, videos and, and different videos for staff and students. And then the channel really focused. That's what you were saying about having that sort of that focus. I think once I hit those first thousand, that's when I started focusing, niching down and really, you know, thinking about, okay, how can I develop my channel? Because I have, I had zero knowledge of videography. Like my background's not in that. Like I understand about color theory and I understand about websites and stuff. And but I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to video. So then I said, okay, well now I need to learn about this. <laughs> so I just tried to learn something every day, something small, doesn't have to be much. And then, yeah, just, it just continued to grow and grow and grow. Please don't watch any of my old videos. They're awful. Like they're still up there because that's one of the things I always tell my students as well is just start like you'll get better over time. And if you don't believe me, look at the old videos. They were rubbish, terrible sound, terrible video. The transitions were, yeah, like I wouldn't watch that now, but it's what brought me to what my videos are today. Right. If it wasn't for that journey, then. I appreciate it. I love hearing about how everybody kind of got their start. And as educators, whether we're doing this as more of a hobby and an artistic whatever, or we're doing it for our classroom or for other educators, whatever the, the reason behind it is that we want to share, you know, we're lifelong learners and we want to share with people what we've experienced and what we've learned. And so I, I'm hearing that in all of the things that you guys are saying is that you're using this hobby, this interest in something, this passion in something and turning it into something that can really help other people. And I think that everyone who probably follows any of you guys or all of you guys, I'm hoping all of you guys after this, anyone who follows you guys, you know, I'm sure they find a lot of enjoyment and a lot of knowledge through having that exposure that you've given them that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So thank you guys so much. I want to thank you on behalf of all of your 100 million viewers that you guys have. But as teachers, how important is an online presence today? How, how important well, do you think it's, it is? It's, a, it's huge. It's huge. And I mean, okay. I'm a big... I'm a big advocate of getting teachers on, especially Twitter, and building that PLN. Um, right now, we are constantly harassing the. We have one. We have on my year level team. There's five of us. Only one is not on Twitter, and we're constantly <laughs> harassing him. Um, you know, it's it's a digital portfolio. It's a way to network and to showcase what you can do. So, for example, I market myself as a teacher as like a nature, outdoors, wildlife guy. So I'm all about outdoor learning with little kids and connecting kids and their families to nature. And it's all about like a bigger conservation picture. I'm hoping to instill like a love of nature. So when the kids grow up, they're going to want to be a conservationist or an ecologist or do something to help the bigger world. So I myself, I'm a I'm an entomology nerd. I'm huge into bugs and birds. I'm also another one of my hobbies is nature photography wildlife photography one thing that i've shared with people before with like some of my wildlife shots the way you get good at wildlife photography is more not so much about the camera itself it's about knowing your subjects so knowing what kind of ducks move in different ways and which ducks will come closer to a shore than other ducks you knowing which and so when you know that you can get the good shots you know i think with me showcasing all the things that i do it's mm -hmm. when for example in my last hiring cycle when i changed jobs so i i, mm -hmm. I teach in uh, in shenzhen right now at shekwa international which is a fantastic school. I got noticed by admin at that school because of my Twitter. And when it was time, when it's hiring season, I realized I had the principal was following me and two vice principals were following me. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. 
things the ball got into motion when I, I literally DM'd the uh, yeah. the principal. I DM'd the elementary principal and I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready for a mm. move. Are you looking for teachers? Literally about a week later, I was signing my name on a contract. So slide to the DMs. Nice. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, you, you've got all these sort of, you can hire people and then you watch them teach a demo lesson and then you this and that. But if you're putting yourself out there, that mm. is your demo lesson. Like they'll yeah. see like what, what what is this person like in a two three hour live stream what is this person like in a five minute video what are they like in the classroom what are they like like it's there what, what what sort of content are they sharing like do i have to worry about this teacher bringing a, a bad rep to the school or not like because mm. that's just as much part of your online profile mm. as anything else is what, what what you're sharing what are you putting out there are you putting out are you giving value are you sharing mm. you know content or are you yeah is it a bit more toxic and should we avoid this person but i agree with kevin when you say twitter twitter is amazing even though i spend an awful lot of time on youtube twitter <laughs> is as an educator i feel twitter yeah. is shifting mm -hmm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. yeah, twitter is really it's becoming it's less and less used by others but more and more by teachers mm -hmm. and it's yeah. really yeah, yeah. you can see that shift so you can really see it yeah. um and I, I i love twitter <laughs> oh yeah just i mean i think of even now like the the term PLN, like two years ago, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. And now, I mean, like I've, I'm just in constant yeah. contact with some of the mm. most amazing educators around the world. And I put out a little a little video on Twitter this morning because I, you know, I woke up this morning to find out that China had blocked, has blocked all foreigners from entering the country for I don't know how long. And we were just getting ready to go back next week. And I was, you know, pretty bummed. You know, I put out this little video because I've been getting into Twitter videos recently. Gosh, I'd say this morning, you know, seven or eight educators from all around the globe sent me messages, DM me and just were just like, are you okay? Can we do anything for you? So that's... It's, it's, there's a there's a an education or like community which is really wonderful i'd agree michael what do you think do you think that presence of being a teacher helps just in general like what, what do you do you think it's important that we have that i think is i think it's very important and i would say lately more so than before because <laughs> yeah nobody saw this coming with, with the coronavirus nobody saw this coming and no crazy how I felt like I had to actually connect my online self mm -hmm. now or my camera self mm -hmm. with me, my school self, with mm -hmm. Mr. Coleman. And um, I was doing a, um, a video or a Zoom session with, with my students. And this was probably like my first week. And one of them said, uh, I kid you not, one said, man, this is boring. Ah. <laughs> well, I'm not, I didn't realize I was, I was here to entertain you. But the more and more I thought about it, I, I, I actually sat there and thought about it afterwards. And then I realized, one, the fifth graders that I'm teaching, I mean, they were born in an era where they were babies and they had smartphones and they had some kind of digital device where they were, they could entertain themselves. They are always looking at YouTube. And so I kind of finally made that connection to where I'm teaching this online lesson. And because I'm on a video screen, or I'm on a screen and it's a video, then it's, wow, I'm having to entertain them. I have to have that same presence. And even when I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching and, and I have to keep their attention, it literally transfers over to being online, needed online as well. And so it, it kind of came out. I actually have very similar comments because when I, I had a lesson and it was sort of, it was live and it was, you know, obviously we were on Google Meet and everyone was joining and everyone was like, goodness, you're like a streamer. And it was just, I, 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 hadn't, I didn't realize it, but because I was sat 
in the studio and I had the camera and I had everything up, I mm -hmm. suddenly went sort of into YouTube mode. And so I was literally more in the front. I was like, right. So everyone, we're going to be looking at this now. And I was sort of popping into the chat and like pulling out names. Saying, so what do you think about that? Can you just drop that in the chat and then let me know? And, and I was like, and I was sort of in this whole different mode. And, and I, then I realized like, oh my goodness. Yeah, they've never seen me like this. Like they've seen me active and like a bit you know hyped up in the classroom but never sort of in this streamer youtube right. mode where i'm constantly right. popping into the chats and pulling comments out and asking them mm -hmm. to engage and mm -hmm. i was like yeah well, you, you make sure that you just contact them and tell them to get online because he's not here yet and i like <laughs> sort of i actually really enjoyed it it made it really fun because it's like what you said they grew up with this like they're not going to watch us just sit in front of a camera giving a boring lecture exactly. but they'll happily watch a streamer on twitch for two three hours yeah. But why is that? Yeah. Because they're engaging. They're constantly, you know, pulling things out and, you know, noticing the audience and they're, they're making it very visual and they're not going to listen to us just talking. Oh, yeah. We need to make it engaging. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, I, I mean, I teach early years. So my students are four and five mm -hmm. years old and we're like play based, outdoor play based. And now we're online. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing this online learning thing since the since the end of January. So when, when this started going down in, in other places, um, you know, and when, when it was on the horizon in America and Canada, people were reaching out to me saying, you've been doing this for a long time already. And mm -hmm. I mean, we, there, was, there was no playbook. There was no training. This happened during Chinese New Year. Like we were all remote trying to figure out how to plan this stuff. But I agree with the entertaining part because with, you know, we've, we've gotten better as we go. And then we've had ebbs and flows with fatigue, students and teachers. I've been just having fun with it. And I know the kind of videos that my students like to watch, you know, the kind of kids YouTubers. So I, I'm, I've now like my, my own two children who are nine and six, they get involved in circle time videos and they're singing and we're planning on some videos where they're going to have like a little story with their action figures. And, and when we film these kind of videos and I put those on Seesaw, parents are telling me that their kids are watching them and rewatching them and rewatching them and rewatching them again. It's, it's kind of like, look at the, what's the content that my little kids like to watch. And now I have to try yeah. to be a children's entertainer but that's it it's it, teachers are now having to learn from those youtubers that are successful and right. and i think some of them are not are sort of a bit hesitant like oh youtubers no but what they what they're doing is working mm -hmm. it works so why don't we just adopt that and and go with it and and bring educational value some of like my my son's teachers have been absolutely amazing what they've been making and producing and it's full-on youtube style but it is brilliant i mean they're three and seven so it has to be yeah. it has to be fun it has to be interactive it has to be and it's just i feel like i'm watching you know blippy mixed with something yeah. else and that's actually TV. that's and blippy was one of my mind <laughs> blippy because my students love blippy and I, and and i can remember like when i was be my class and the kids would watch a bit of a blippy video and i was like joking about his style yeah. like hey guys follow me come here and I, when i would do that in my own classroom the kids just went mad they were like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I pretend to be Blippy. So, um, you know, a guy like that's got millions upon millions of subscribers. He's doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I, I think this is, I mean, we're going to see some serious upskilling here in our teachers. Mm. I'm, ho I'm really hoping that they're going to keep doing yeah. this even once. I mean, I can only see sort of once we've all gone back. 
I really hope that they keep mm -hmm. creating content and keep creating videos and keep making it. I totally agree. I was about to say, as you guys were talking, my first thought was, this is going to be the normal discussion in a staff room. This is going to mm. be the kind of thing uh, I can see Michael working in our PYP. Uh, I can see some people coming to him saying, hey, you've had a lot of success. I don't know how many subscribers you've got, but maybe you can help me with this or maybe you can help me with that. And I can see it happening. It's already starting to happen. I think there mm. were people who yeah. want to do it and they've been forced to do it. You know, it's great. I mean, you know, whatever platform they're picking, if it's Seesaw videos, I don't know. You know, <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. What advice if a teacher's listening and they've never done any of this kind of stuff, what advice do you have for them starting out? And you guys think about it in your own context. It could be YouTube. It could be Instagram. It could be whatever. But what advice do you have as a teacher who wants to start out some sort of online presence as a as a professional online presence? You know, a, 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 not a personal one necessarily, but a professional online presence as a teacher. What do you guys, what, what's your advice for them? I'd say start, start small. Start small. Just just find, find some good sources where you're actually being fed first. As in, like, mm. For example, Twitter, there's some amazing people out there, but Twitter can seem like a void before you're actually following the right people mm. because you, you need to develop it. And so start small, follow a couple people mm. and maybe just find value for yourself first. And then before you know it, you'll start sharing mm. because you'll, you'll take something, you'll do it in class and it works and then you'll share about it. And then people will start sharing that and then you'll see, okay, well, maybe I should share a bit more. And so don't, don't feel like you've got to do it all. And then the same, the same with YouTube, just start, use your webcam. If you have a webcam, pull out your phone because your phone has an amazing camera. It, mm -hmm. it, you don't need to invest in a DSLR. Start with your phone and just work your way up. Don't because too many times I hear people that are saying, oh yeah, I'd, li I'd like to make some videos on YouTube, but oh, I need, I need to buy some lights and I need to buy a new microphone. I need to get a DSLR camera. No, you don't. You've got a phone. Get started. <laughs> We're at that. I mean, technology has moved moved on so much that there's really there is no excuse. I mean, look at us. We're all using webcams and stuff, and we're on a yeah. on a free on a free platform, and we're able <laughs> exactly. to have this conversation yep. digitally. It's live streamed. This mm -hmm. could be you. Like this, it's that's good advice. That's good advice. That's, yeah, it uh, is. I uh, listen to some other YouTubers as well, and and they give a lot of uh, especially the YouTube channels that are trying to build other YouTubers. And that is one of the, the biggest piece of advice that a lot of people miss. And so they, and then later on, they end up having a hard time is that they try to go for the, for the big camera in the beginning, or they're like, oh, I need to have this editing program just to do this. Or it's like, no, you have a phone right here. And a lot of our phones, if you have an iPhone, you even, you have iMovie on the phone. Yeah. So you can easily shoot a video, edit the video in your phone and that's content. And so yeah. I agree, starting small bit by bit. I would say play to your strength. For me personally, I have a lot of experience with videography. And so whenever um, I was doing newsletters at one point with my students and I would just shoot video throughout the week and I like to throw in different camera angles and everything. And I just, I'll just use my, my cell phone and I'll just throw in different camera angles. And at the end of the week, I'll just throw it in the iMovie and just edit it. And then I'll put it on so then that way parents can see what's happening in the class. And students actually enjoy watching themselves with cinematic shots uh, done by an iPhone. But if someone's not good at videography, but let's say they're great at just, just speaking, just talking uh, on camera, I would say live streaming. Live streaming would be good for that person. And even if they do a live stream and then they take that video and it's and it's uploaded onto YouTube, the students can always go to it and access it as well. So I would say definitely play into your strengths and also content. If you're strong in your area as well, then the content that you would create is, will have a lot of value. Great advice from both of you guys. You know, a, a few things that jump out at me, first of all, is consistency. You, you, you can't 
you're not going to make that great PLN, the professional learning network on Twitter, if you only tweet once a week. You know, you've, you've got to go there. And if, if you you make that connection with one or two valuable teachers who, who make great content, who do they follow? That's what I that's what I would do. I'd go to their followers and see who are they following and kind of search through. If you got like a fantastic educator out there, I bet they're following a lot of fantastic educators as well. Um, and another thing is, is, I mean, like, of course, do what you know, like you were mentioning, play to your strengths. But also, um, I think some people get into content creation a lot of people get into content creation i'm hoping to be famous and you know you're not gonna it's if that's the reason why you're gonna you want to be a youtuber is because you want to be famous it's not going to work out for you it's It's a grind right it's a grind it's like with podcasting with like uh you know people photographers i know who who have successful instagram feeds like there's a guy based out of korea noe alonzo who is an incredible photographer i've known him for a long time and he's got a huge following on instagram but man he's got skills mad skills with the camera and he's been doing it forever like he's just working it i think those are the things consistency and not expecting to become famous or, yeah. or rich I think that's brilliant. <laughs> i'm still like, waiting I mean, for my big twitter deals <laughs> yeah no but absolutely it's go in wanting to share and not mm. wanting to get because mm. too many people and especially i think i would want to say especially on youtube um mm. too many people go in thinking this is it i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make because mm-hmm. they see these big youtubers but then Here, that's think right about, even the biggest youtubers have been doing this for 10 plus years like right. they yeah. like and that's what they forget like some people like oh yeah yeah but he's making so much he has two thousand videos on his channel (laughs) yeah like you've got two And one thing I actually wanted, wanted to add, because I was just, as you were all say, speaking and, and saying this, know your platform. So when you are deciding on a platform, not everything is created equally. So what works on, on um, YouTube doesn't necessarily work on LinkedIn. And what works on LinkedIn doesn't work on Instagram. And what works on Instagram doesn't work in a podcast form. Like everything is very different. And just know your platform and stick to that. Because there's different rules for every platform. There's different things. There's, like You might share something thing and it goes viral on one and on the other platform that would be terrible mm-hmm. like you wouldn't want to post that mm-hmm. so i think that does also matter very true it's <laughs> one thing that i struggled with in the beginning and i still sometimes struggle with is to have to simplify your goals uh i had i wanted to upload two times a week at one point and then i realized that just with my workload and putting out quality work i have to do it once a week i have to do at least one video that's shot edited and done well and then I'll do like a live stream once a week. And so I know people go in, they're like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do daily vlogs, just boom, every day. But then a lot of those people who do daily vlogs, at least in the beginning, their vlogs are, the, the quality suffers a lot because they're mm-hmm. focused more on the quantity. And when you and just agree with, um, with my other two gentlemen here, a lot of the people who are, who have everyday vlogs and they're great, most likely they they have other videos already done. They may have an editor, they have a system, they have things that are already in place that uh, when you first start, you don't definitely simplify your goals. And it goes back to what Sethi said earlier, start small and start with something manageable. Yeah. It's, I was just thinking like, you know, from podcasting, right? Like even to get one out once a week, it can be a struggle sometimes with your life schedule. When And when you look at someone like Vicki Davis, who's the 10 meet. 10 minute teacher podcast she you know she puts them out every day but she's got producers she actually has like a producer who like finds the guests connects with the guests does all that work and she has editors too so she's literally just doing these short interviews and other people are taking care of all those other pieces whereas in you know a schlub like me you know i gotta do it all and like you know it's especially hard when you're in our time zone uh, when you're in Asia and you're trying to connect with people yep. who may be in America or Canada. And then, you know, yeah. I, I can remember I've, I've done interviews in the middle of the night. I've woken up at like three in the yeah. morning to do interviews. Maybe that's yeah. why the podcast is on hiatus. 
It could be why that. that. <laughs> All right. That's awesome advice, guys. Thank you. And I hope that I captured that as we put as we went along. So along with that, I've got a couple of uh, platforms here. Which one do you think is best for teachers? Just a quick debate. <laughs> There's more out there. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. Done. Okay. <laughs> so what do you think is the best? I mean, because there, I know some teachers who are just diehard bloggers. They're excellent at blogging. Yeah. They're very eloquent with their, you know, with the way they write and their blogs, they go viral. Like their posts mm. go well, you know, like they have a really good system for that. I'm not a blogger. It's hard for me to sit down and write that kind of content. I would much rather, I'm much more of an interactive sort of vocal spoken oral person. What do you think is best? I know it really depends on the person, but what do you think is best as a teacher? I would say, first of all, what's your, what's your, your goal? So understand your audience, first of all. So is your audience very young? Is your audience more sort of the teenagers? Is it the teachers? And then where is your audience? And then how do you feel about where they are? So for example, if your audience is predominantly on YouTube, well, how do you feel about being on YouTube? Is that a platform that you could be comfortable sharing your content? If not, then there's already a clash there. It's not going to be viable. It's not going to work. Is your audience on Twitter? Okay, well, how, do, how have you developed your Twitter? And you know, how do you feel about sharing on Twitter? Does that work? If there's a connect, then go for it. I'm not here to tell another teacher you have to get on YouTube because that's that works for me and I'm subscribed to some amazing educational channels. There's a lot of filth on YouTube as well. <laughs> And I think, and that, that I mean, that it's just, true. that's true for any platform, I think, yeah. with some exceptions. Yeah. You've got to just find what works for you, I think, in both as a consumer, but also as a content producer. Or if you're, if you're going to make content and create it, you need to find what works. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, again, great, always great advice here. I'm glad I'm part of this today. Um, I think I think like there's like, two different um, things I'm uh, when I think about the different platforms. I think to be honest, being on multiple platforms is the best thing. But don't spread yourself too thin. But um, I think as as a teacher, as a professional, when I want knowledge and I want to learn things, I find Twitter is amazing because so many people put out incredible content and resources and links to great resources. So when I want to know things or make those get ideas, Twitter is great. And also YouTube, I consume YouTube to learn. But I think about like my audience, you know, one thing I'm hoping to do in the future when I'm not stuck in the middle of Osaka and I've got a bit of nature around me is my big thing is nature and connecting kids with nature. So I'm hoping to get back into more videography, but creating that kind of, I don't know, brave wilderness coyote Peterson type, not quite like that, but videos of me catching frogs and, and 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 teaching the kids about how to do these things and teaching kids about like nature and wildlife and i know with the kids i teach i think youtube's the best platform for that because okay. they're visual i made a few videos like that like last year mm -hmm. and i sent them out to my classes here on seesaw and i got great rave reviews there's a mm -hmm. video of me catching grasshoppers but yeah so i, I suppose you know to do what i want to do and I, i'm also a podcaster i you know and to, i need to advertise that podcast and if i'm wanting teachers to listen to my podcast again mm -hmm. having a, a good twitter presence really makes a difference i was i was thinking the same exact thing as, as kevin and said uh, because I was, I was first i was thinking okay well first is if you know your audience and the type of content that you want to create then you will either for me personally if i want to create something for teachers or i want to connect with teachers then i will go more toward twitter if i want to have a uh, i want students to actually see my content then I feel that YouTube will probably be the better out. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't until I started looking and diving more into um, YouTube creation that 
I realized, or actually I learned that YouTube is the second, it's the second largest search engine or second most used search engine Yeah. next to Google, which Google or actually owns YouTube. A lot of people, if they don't know something, they go directly to YouTube and of course the video, most people would rather watch a video than actually read. Uh, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to go directly to YouTube to find knowledge. And so I would definitely say, if you want to connect with those teachers, then boom, Twitter, Twitter's the way to go. Uh, if you want to connect with students, definitely YouTube. I noticed no, no, nobody say anything about Facebook. What I want to say about that is I really haven't been on Facebook much, but since the school closure, it's been super easy for people to create groups. And wow. there's been all these huge groups that have popped up. One about, you know, oh, you're temporarily closed. And I remember getting an invite for that a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, I don't know, 3,000 members. And it's, it's like 120,000 people on it now. And it just like exploded and all these people are dumping things in and sharing their content. And so I think Facebook is quite comfortable for a lot of the teachers, especially in North America. I think a lot of them are used to that format. And so I, the reason I put Facebook up there was for that was because, you know, I wouldn't have probably put that up there if we were talking a month ago. But I just have noticed mm -hmm. that all these groups are popping up. People are sharing things. And when I look mm -hmm. at my own podcast and I look at where the hits are coming from, they're mostly coming from Facebook, <laughs> which actually surprised me. So I would just kind of, you know, that, that was why I brought that up was it's like, huh. So maybe it's kind of like what you guys have just said, which is uh, it's all about your audience, knowing your audience, but also kind of being aware of the timing you know, of these things. Cause as events happen, I think it might actually change where people are finding their information. Yeah. I had a thought recently and <laughs> let, me, let me know, let me know what you guys think. So <laughs> around the early 2010s, man, that just like so long ago. But anyway, around like 2010, 11, like Instagram was big in the U S that's when Instagram kind of started to first pop up on the scene. A lot of people were on Instagram and then maybe around 2017, 2018, Instagram got bigger in, in Asia. So I know for sure everybody in Korea was on Instagram around that time. So if you were to create content for, let's say, teenagers, because a lot of teenagers, middle school or the high school are, are on Instagram, do you think that would actually be a good program to yeah. go for? I think so, yeah. I think especially even like with, with, with the younger sorry, teachers. Oh, sorry, with, like with the younger teachers, too. I mean... I've got Instagram. I was into it at one point, but when I look around, if I'm if I'm in a coffee shop here in Japan or something, and I'd say pretty much anyone who's like 25 and under, they're just flipping through their Instagram. See, I mean, it's the same. I mean, when you look at even students, when you look at sort of like East Asia three, well, two, three, four, mm -hmm. how are they connecting with each other? Well, they're DMing each other on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. become their main messaging platform as well. Mm -hmm. So it's they're on Instagram scrolling through feeds, but they're also using Instagram DMs yeah. to communicate with each other. So in Instagram is huge in that age. And again, mm -hmm. I think that links with the Facebook as, as well, because the age yeah. is linked to it. Because when yeah. you look at Facebook, yeah. who are the teachers that are now suddenly panicking and, <laughs> and having to teach online? Well, that exactly. age group is the That's Facebook right. age group. That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Even though we might also sort of dip into that age group, but we are comfortable with tech tools. For we've been yeah. Well, we've been content creating. No, but we've been creating content and we've been using yeah. tech tools. And But yeah. those that have never done that, guaranteed mm -hmm. they have tried Facebook and oh, they absolutely. have been on facebook yeah it's, they know it they know it so that might explain all these groups popping up as well yeah well that's like with even like with twitter i mean when you go to an average you know middle school in america or canada how many of those teachers are active on twitter versus how many of them are using facebook i'm yeah. sure i mean especially if they're in their 40s or 50s or older they're, they're all looking at facebook every day I, I tend to find with 
Twitter from my engagement over the years with teachers, the kind of teachers who are into Twitter in a big way are kind of not your typical teacher. They're kind of, you know, you you meet a lot of rock stars. You meet a lot of people who are hungry. You meet a lot of people who are just really communicative and they want to share and they want to learn. They've got passion. Whereas Mm -hmm. then, you know, there's other teachers out there who maybe uh, don't have that so much. I think it's easier to be a passive audience member as well on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Stuff comes through and, 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 you know, it started out as a friend network, right? So it started out as with people you, you had to know people in order to join them as a friend to start with. So I think a lot of people have created these family and friends networks on Twitter. I mean, on Facebook from the beginning, and then mm. they start to reach out and branch out. And so I think it's all to do with, you know, where does that professional and that personal rub up against each other, you know, where you're creating content. Cause I would say until recently, I would never have put anything professional on Facebook. I would have gone over to LinkedIn or Twitter to do that. Uh-huh. But now things are, I'm sharing on Twitter. I'm resharing on Facebook because those groups are so much more active and people are, you know, you can get a lot more engagement that way too. So I love I how you're saying that. Cause I still don't, I still don't post my videos on my Facebook feed. Yeah. You, know, you see like thousands of views coming in and you're like, you're yep. fine with that, but I wouldn't want you know, like friends and family to stop watching <laughs> that. Cause that would be like, mm. This is, this is another side of me now. This is <laughs> so I have uh, one more question for you guys, and then we can just keep on rolling. But one of the things that keeps people, I think, in the back of their mind from creating content is the fear of uh, negative backlash, you know, people trolling them and things like that. So, how do you handle when someone is <laughs> thumbs downing your videos and, and being? They're trolling you. I highly doubt that you're getting too many trolls, but you might get a few. But how do you handle that? I've done like at like summits, like apps events and stuff. Mm. I've done sessions on um, YouTube for teachers. The first thing I always say is you've got you need to have thick skin. Like be ready for be ready for it because it will come. Um, And and that's it's just it's the nature of the Internet. I think is you will get some horrible comments. Thankfully, many of these platforms have systems in place that sort of filter it a little bit and give you a chance to, you know, deal with it and and so on. But you're still going to read it and you're still going to see it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when people are telling you to drop dead and do things, it is going to happen. Yeah. That being said, you get used to it. It, Yeah, you do. You really do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I agree with the whole, like, I mean, I've been, I've been creating content. Gosh, I think my first blog I wrote in like 1997 or something. I've got an incredibly thick skin, but I mean, I've got, I'm, you know, skim through comments, block the lead, block the lead, block the lead, you know, no problem. But for those out there too, I think, you know, for, and I do hear that with teachers who are like worried. They're like, I don't want to get onto Twitter because of trolls. Well, on Twitter, I don't face trolls like ever no. um, because I'm no. dealing with teachers and I'm not tweeting about political stuff. I'm not tweeting about controversial things. I'm on Twitter to share education stuff mm-hmm. and stuff about where I'm at, you know, because if I'm traveling, I want to show some stuff about that and like outdoor nature stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. who's going to troll you for like putting up pictures of ants or a flower, <laughs> you know, or, or, or giving teaching tips, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, I, I, on Twitter, like I don't face that because I also don't follow people. Like I don't follow political stuff. Yeah. I'm that, yeah. That's not what I use for Twitter for. I, I avoid that. YouTube. You know, I, I find like it doesn't matter what you put a video up of could be the most. Yeah, just anything happy, fluffy, this or that. There's going to be someone who's going to be like, yeah. there's sort of levels as well of trolls, isn't there? You've got sort of like safe zones and then you've got you know, 
you've got your Twitter, and then you've got YouTube where it gets a bit rough, and then you've got Reddit, which is just yeah, no, oh, wow. and then yeah. you've got, like it just keeps getting <laughs> worse and worse <laughs> as you go up the ladder. I feel like for for me, like I've seen, I've with all the content that I put out, just the level of trolling that I've seen have gone from just people just sharing their thoughts, and mm-hmm. which might differ from mine, which. You know, for me, I will I will comment on that, but I'll comment respectfully, and I'll be like, "Well, thanks." You know, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and everything. So just people just out of left field, just saying just terrible things. I would just say for teachers who who get that, just like I already said, block, delete, yeah. report. <laughs> or for me, I'll sometimes also comment back, and then I'll just wait to think a chance to read it. Then I'm like, boom, now block, delete. Yeah. Now you're done. <laughs> That's the other thing. I think many people don't realize is when they are leaving all these vile comments on channels and once we've de- we've blocked them, they don't realize that. They're still leaving comments, but nobody's reading it. And they're just wasting their time. So it's... <laughs> It's wonderful. I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, they don't realize that. They're just leaving more comments and more. Oh, nobody's nice. seeing them. That that nice. that that and user they're get, is hidden. They're getting angrier because you're not engaging you're not them. Coming back. I'm not seeing it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's really awesome. You guys are awesome, man. I really appreciate this chat. I know there's a lot of people who are really, really interested in this, especially now. Like, I mean, we're in a really scary time, and I think the new normal um, is going to be very different than it was two months ago. Uh, and I think that teachers are going to be creating content. Michael is is my son's teacher. And so I remember our first week of online learning and he came running into me and he says, Mr. Coleman's doing a live feed. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to live stream. And, um, you know, he was super excited about that. And he was typing questions and, and comments and things like that. And so he's really loves that kind of thing. So I think what you guys said is quite resonant that, you know, we're dealing with students from the YouTube generation. When I wake up in the morning and my kids have already been awake, they're not watching TV. They're watching YouTube. You know, they're they're on yeah, there yeah, watching, yeah. you know, Brawl Stars and how this kid beat this guy and did this and that. You know, that's the kind of thing they're watching. And they've even started doing their own little content creation. And I'm encouraging them as much as I can to do that because I think that that's the new normal for them. And that's the way they will never know life without that, you know. Yeah. And so I think for teachers, anyone who's not retiring this year, which this might make some people retire, I think everyone should be creating content. And I think that everybody should, you know, be freely giving, not freely necessarily, but, uh, you know, giving away content and sharing with each other because we're all making things better by just putting it out there. So I appreciate you guys putting stuff out there. I'm big fans of all of you guys. So that's why I wanted to have you on here. So I appreciate you being here for- and you know, if have any, if you got one last thing you could say to encourage people, um, I think you know one thing. I had a I had a team meeting today with my teaching year level, and I think one thing that we've realized is that you know maybe not so long ago teachers were saying you know one day we're all going to be replaced with computers <laughs> and things. Well, I think we realize now that that's definitely not going to happen because doing online learning, like we don't, I mean, I'm a parent too. I've got two kids and I'm seeing what what they're dealing with. And for both ends, there can be a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And what you see the kids miss is that social connection. Mm -hmm. But when a teacher does care and does put the effort in, um, Mm -hmm. like my two kids, they're so excited when it's time to have a Zoom meeting with their class and their teacher. And they've got, I'm I'm so blessed this year. Like both of my kids have fantastic teachers. You know, it's just so wonderful when they take the time to do like individuals zoom calls and and talk to them and do check-ins and so i think if if you're putting in that effort as a teacher even though this is a time of mass suckage um <laughs> in the world um 
the, the kids, the kids, when you take that extra effort and you personalize things, yeah. if you're not just sharing random seesaw activities made by some teacher in, you know, Ohio oh. or something, you need to personalize it. So like when we have videos, they're personalized. Like my students see me and my children and doing things. And I think that makes all the difference. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's, I always tried, I'm a really strong believer of technology will not replace teachers, but I do feel that those teachers not willing to embrace tech, mm. they will be replaced. And it's just, I think this is a wake-up call for those, and 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 I'm I'm just what I've seen at our school has just been amazing. How everyone's just embraced it and just started creating and just creating content, personalizing it, like you said. And that then brings me to: it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be good. <laughs> it just has to be good enough. And if it's good enough, you can share it. Like it, it's just don't worry about oh, but the the lights are off and this camera is not perfect and the angle is not there and this is not. It's okay if it's good enough. Your kids will love it. They will love it. And so that would be my main thing. Just make it good enough. I like that media <laughs> mindset. That's good, man. <laughs> 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 I will go along uh, with something along with that. And I uh, would say, just go in and create, just go and create. And a lot of people, sometimes they never make that move um, because they put too much thought into it, too much planning, and they just never take that leap. I, I feel that there's a lot of people who out there, who out there, they actually have a lot of potential. And there's a lot of teachers out there who, who are just brilliant and they're smart. There's a lot they, they can do. But they might be afraid of failure. They might be afraid to, to try something new and to really understand what being a creator is. And I say for those people, don't worry about that. Just do it. Fail. Especially if we're yeah. teachers and we teach that it's okay to fail. And so now we need to go ahead and, and show and, and live by that code that we're teaching as well and just go out mess up and do it the best you can. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you delete your video, yep. you know, I mean, you just delete yep. it or you just delete the tweet or whatever it is. So I think being out there creating content, I love this idea of consistency. I think that you have to be consistent, but that takes a lot, you know? And so I think people have to find a platform they're comfortable with, stick with it, you know, just keep on pushing. I, I wouldn't say do my, my space is probably not a good idea, but uh, <laughs> Michael probably doesn't even know of my space, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Just give you a I was having flashbacks. I know. <laughs> Exactly. I got on the tail end. You know, I, I tail end. All right. What was that Kevin? I was just thinking, I can remember years ago I created had I had to create a MySpace account because my band had a MySpace page and it was the only way I could find out when and where we were playing. <laughs> where am I playing? Do I have a gig tonight? Oh, oh gosh, I do. But that's the other thing as well. Like all those platforms we're using today as a content creator, for all we know, in five years there's a new platform and we're not oh, yeah. using it anymore. So mm -hmm. don't like be ready to change and evolve and, and just scrap your strategy and change it because TikTok. things will i mean things will yeah look at what, what's happening with tiktok true, my yeah. goodness it yeah. is blowing up yeah. yeah i know definitely yeah you know I, I i appreciate you guys sharing this with me your journeys have been so fun to watch and to see please keep making good content which is what i know you guys are going to keep doing uh, i know that there's going to be folks who are going to want to follow up with you later and so i'll make sure to put all of your twitter handles or whatever in your youtube channels into the liner notes and, and all that kind of the show notes so thank you guys so much you've been awesome and keep making great content guys thank you thank you thank you thanks guys thank you so much